Welcome to the Weekend Booktopian, our podcast about all things news and the books that we are reading and enjoying. I'm Nick Wasilia, the social media specialist, and I'm joined today by campaigns manager, Sam Joyce. Hello, Sam. Hi, Nick. Our affiliate marketing manager, Arthur Malkin. Hi, Arthur. Hi, Nick. And our assistant category manager for nonfiction, Cassandra Sharp. Hi. Hi, guys. It's so nice to have you physically all in the same room. We've recorded 30-something episodes, and this is the first time that we're all actually looking at each other, which I appreciate hugely. But regardless, the format is still very much the same as with all episodes. We'll kick off by diving into the world of book news, and then we'll be discussing the books that we've been reading and enjoying. And then be sure to stick around to the end, where my guests will go head-to-head in a battle for book supremacy that we like to call Book Fight. So... Kicking off with book news, and the first big news is that New Regency, which is a film production company, has actually recently acquired the rights to Meg Mason's most recent novel, Sorrow and Bliss, um, which has been was a big, big, big uh, release last year and was in our t- um, favourite books um, of 2020. Cass, I know that you've actually recently started uh, reading this book. Um, I have not had the chance to read it. Um, what are your thoughts on it so far? Um, so... Going back a little bit to when I started reading it, I got a copy from NetGalley, so it's on my tablet, and it opens with the main character. I think she's got like a 40th birthday or something happening, and you see all these little moments um, between her and her husband and kind of like the resentment that builds up after years and years and years. Um, But it's also very modern in that like I think she refers to a Prince William gif or something. Like there's memes and stuff in it. Um, and I've spoken to Ben Hunter, our category manager for fiction, who said it's an amazing book and I need to just keep going with it. But it definitely had me flicking the pages and trying to figure out what happens next. Yeah, I've, I know Ben sung its praises for the vast majority of last year and it just goes to show how this it's it's going to be some it's just Meg's year this year it seems like because the book's also set to be released in in the UK in the US in the UK um, as well as across twenty five other country uh, twenty one other countries rather and being translated into sixteen different languages all this year on top of the film rights being acquired so wow. it's going to be a yeah it's a big year for for Meg Mason so far so mm. good for you Meg keep going mm. keep it up. Um, and the other bit of news that we were going to discuss this week is that HarperCollins Australia have just announced the launch of a new brand, Harper by Design, a new Australian imprint uh, that will expand the company's local publishing to include a custom-made list of in-house-oriented illustrated books, um, with Mark Campbell serving as creative director. Sam, I know you've been keeping a watch uh, on this one. How will this impact HarperCollins and the book industry? Oh, look, I'm so excited. You know, it's great to have more local originated content and the Harper Design um, group of people there. So lovely and so talented. I don't know if you know this, Nick, but I used to work for HarperCollins. So I actually know a few of the people um, in the design studio and they're just, they're they're really fantastic, generally talented people. Um, And I remember every year we would have a uh, Christmas decoration competition on our floor. (laughs) And uh, yeah, they won every single year and they deserved it. Um, They they would come up with the, the most fantastic, beautiful 
uh, decorations and every year it was unique. I think one year it was like a, you walked into like a snowy, you know, Christmas scene and they were just, they were really creative. They went all out. So, you know, as much as I, you know, I envied them and you know, they, they deserved it every single year. Um, and I also follow them on Instagram. They have a HarperCollins Design Studio Instagram where they share their covers that they, that they you know, that they design and even some of the behind the scenes process occasionally. So yeah, if, you, if you're interested in um, book, that side of the book industry and, and, and book design, I recommend you follow them. So really excited to see what they do. Sounds like a match made in heaven. It makes me wonder why, why they haven't done it, why they haven't, they haven't gone straight for an imprint originally. Oh, but yeah, you know, and uh, the, the covers that they've brought out, I think that they've, uh, they've got some award-winning designers mm. in there as well. So uh, definitely very keen to see what they come up with. I'm sure that's gonna be amazing. Mm, indeed, it, it's it's been such an interesting year in terms of new press, new imprints, and new uh, groups coming out. I know we mm. have we were talking about Ultimo Press over the last uh, couple of months uh, of 2020, um, and it's so fantastic to see this happening as well. Yeah, good for them, and shout out to all my Harper pals. <laughs> <laughs> Sending you love down the mic. <laughs> um, so that'll bring us to the end of our news segment uh, for this week, and then we'll dive straight into the books we have been reading and enjoying. Um, and I'll throw to you, Arthur, uh, first pod of the year. Um, what have you been? What were you enjoying over the Christmas break, and what have you been enjoying so far this year? So uh, over the Christmas break, or the start of the year, rather, I should say, um, I started reading and fin- now have finished um, *The Dry* by Jane Harper. Oh, Obviously, the wow. movie came out, so it was a good time to really get into that book. And I've got to say, it's a fantastic story. Jane Harper just nails this story. This is one of the best. Um, crime fiction novels I've ever read. If you haven't read it, it's essentially uh, about uh, federal agent Aaron Falk who uh, has to go back to his hometown because his best friend um, and his family have, you know, been involved in what looks like a murder-suicide. So it's really gritty stuff set in the backdrop of um, a drought-stricken town. And uh, there's also more to the story. There's, you know, 20 years ago around the time when Aaron left his town, there was a um, a suspicious murder of one of their childhood friends. So there, there appears to be a connection between the new grisly murder scene with, and the original case. So um, the story basically unfolds and we find out what really happened and how, how the two crimes are potentially connected. It's fantastic. It's... Um, one of the better uh, I, I, when it comes to crime fiction sometimes i feel like i can guess where it's going halfway through maybe early on but this book kept me guessing right till the very end it's it's phenomenal she's so good isn't she oh absolutely yeah. she i mean we were we had her in recently to to talk about the um the survivors uh, her most recent one and um and talking and i we talked to her a lot about her actual use of setting of place and the, the, the effect that setting of place has in Australia. And I think her use in the dry, you talk about that it was set during the drought and that whole feeling just seeps into the book. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the characters, you know, at one stage, quite a few of them saying, you know, how much they can sympathise. If he, if the, the main character or one of the characters did, in fact, kill his family, you know, people would go mad during that time. And, I mean, you know. Most of us probably can't relate to something like that, having experienced that kind of hardship. But um, yeah, no, and she just really paints a vivid picture. The se- the setting really does play such a key part in the story. It's incredible. Um, I have started reading now um, 
the next book, uh, Force of Nature, which also mm-hmm. features um, Agent Aaron Falk. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, what that one's like. That's set completely different, um, different cast of characters and different settings. So looking forward to seeing where that one will go as well. But um, yeah, really looking forward. To, I want to try and get through all of Jane Harper's books. She's a fantastic writer. Yeah, she is. Have you had the chance to see the movie yet? or are you still No, no, not yet. I um, would love to, but haven't... Um, made my way back to the cinema yet. I know it's COVID safe and all, but um, <laughs> I, I do plan to get there eventually. <laughs> yes, fingers crossed. Well, it's been, yeah, it's it's so awesome to see that, to see Jane Harper just continue to go from strength to strength. And it's awesome that, you know, even after that book came out, it's still having ripple effects being felt for years Absolutely. afterwards, which is great. Thank you, Arthur. Great, great recommendations. You can't go wrong with Jane Harper. Um, I'll throw it out of you, Cass. Um, I always, always love it when you come on the pod and give us some of the fantastic, fun recommendations that you have. Uh, What have you been enjoying? Um, So last night I finished the second Pages and Co book. So I think the last time I was on the pod I talked about it. Um, Yeah. So basically the background is that Tilly is, I think she's like 11, and her grandparents run a bookshop called Pages and Co and they live above that. Um, So the first book's happened. She's found a new best friend in Oscar, the kid whose mum runs the bakery across the road. And they can wander in and out of books, which is really cool. And everyone's like, it sounds like Incard. It's not Incard. Um, anyway, so the second book, they set off to Paris and they're visiting Oscar's family. But there's um, a lot of kind of disagreement around um, how the book wandering community through the underlibrary actually conducts itself. And there's a new leader and he's just like, I don't want kids wandering around in books. So that's not like, popular, but... Yeah, so they go to Paris and they start wandering around in fairy tales, except the fairy tales are collapsing. Oh, wow. And Anna James has done a really good job of, like, embodying the fairy tales with kind of the bare bones of what we know, but also making it really clever. Like, when Rapunzel, when they go and meet Rapunzel, there's, like, a whole bunch of princes there and she's actually yelling at them and, like, throwing things (laughs) and being like, leave me alone. (laughs) I don't like any of you. Um. Yeah, so it's a very clever take on a lot of, like, traditional fairy tales. Um, the three bears, like, they're a bit weird around humans. Jack from the Beanstalk <laughs> tells her because they have this girl come in and just, like, use their stuff. And she still does it. Like, she just wanders into the house and she's like, I would have liked if you got this last <laughs> year. Um, so, yeah, I really love their friendship. Um, I really love all of the descriptions of food. <laughs> like, I don't know if you found this in um, Nevermore or, like, the Harry Potter books um, back when we were reading them, but I used to love descriptions of food. Oh, yeah. Like, just over yeah. the top. Yes. And I feel like there's a description of, like, um, how they're having croissants and hot chocolate or something and it's snowing and they're in Paris and you can, like, you can just feel the, like, orange warm glow of, like, a fireplace mm. and it's such a great autumn read. Like, it's very, like, curl up with a blanket and forget about the world book. Um, the other one, which I brought in today because it's been sitting in my backpack for a while, is Catboy by Benji Nate, <laughs> <laughs> which it has a very cute cover. Um, so it's a collection of comics by Benji Nate, um, which originally started on the website Vice. And it's about a girl named Olive who I guess she's in her 20s and her best friend's her cat. She's pretty introverted. And one day she wishes on a shooting star that her cat could be a person. And basically he grows into like a six-foot person. <laughs> <laughs> So he's like a human-looking cat, but everyone thinks he's a person. And so he dresses up in her clothes because she doesn't have anything else. And suddenly he's like out and about and hanging out with like hipstery people. And she's like, 
What's his name? I think his name's Henry. He's like, like a- you need to get a job. Because, like, <laughs> and he's like, okay. And then he gets a job like dog sitting. <laughs> and he's like fighting with his pub being like, no, you're ugly. <laughs> it's like a cautionary tale of like, be careful what you wish yeah. for when your yeah. cat comes. <laughs> I can just, uh, I'm just imagining like a human sized cat trying to do cat things like, you know, like lick itself or something. <laughs> Try and wash it. She's like, did you have a shower or whatever before we go to the party? And he's like, yeah. And then it just cuts to him like licking himself. <laughs> so he's still got those cat elements that like people love about their pets, but transposed onto a humanoid person who doesn't really understand how things work. Which is very cute. And it's very, like, it's a very quick read. Um, I really like the art style and it's just very adorable. Mm. It looks adorable here, just like seeing it across the... Yeah, I was at the library um, when I was on leave and, of course, I wandered into a totally new library where I hadn't borrowed anything for several years and I came out with, like, 15 books. The bane of all existence, going into a library and getting stuck there for two hours and coming out with too many books. (laughs) It's more carrying the books that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Those are amazing suggestions. I love it when you come on because just some of the the crazy um, books that you find, I absolutely love and they're so creative. Oh, thank you. Um, But thank you so much. Fantastic fantastic book reading. I'll throw you now to you, Sam. Um, You are, I know you, last time you were on, you were singing, singing the praises of the Murderbot series um, that you love and cherish so very much. Um, are you re- still um, on that high or are you have you moved on to something more exciting? Uh, look, I may or may not have just, you know, picked up the first book in the series again the other night <laughs> just, just because it's so comforting and amazing and I love it. Um, but, you know, I have been reading other things recently, um, <laughs> just, uh, just putting it out there. Um, so I watched the, the Bridgerton series on Netflix, oh, wow. um, you know, on, on Boxing Day, like uh, I don't know how many other millions of households over the world. Um, and look, I was already familiar with the source material. You know, the, these books came out um, a couple of decades ago. Um, it's very beloved. And, you know, when it was first announced, I was really, really excited. Um, and the production quality is just amazing. So after watching that, I, I kind of went back on another historical romance bent and I <laughs> quickly read, you know, a couple of the Bridgerton series. Um, and then I read uh, A Wallflower Wager and um, The Duchess Deal and a couple of other great books by um, some of my sort of old favourites like Tessa Dare and Courtney Milan. Um, I've, I've read them all before, but something about watching Bridgerton just put me back in the mood again. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got all these great books sitting around. I should, I'm just going to read them again. And it was perfect over the Christmas break. It's wonderful how, like, when you when you see an adaptation, how it just suddenly gets you gravitating back towards yeah. those books and the, the effects you had. How does the actual adaptation compare to the books that they're reading. I have never read them. I know yeah. nothing about them. I've only watched like two episodes yeah. and I to- and I was like, I need to either completely get with this and start again or, yeah. or pick up the book. I mean, um, most most historical romance books, you know, are, are pretty much focused on two perspectives, the perspective of the heroine and the perspective of the hero, um, whereas the, the adaptation allows us to see more people, more mm. behind the scenes, more what they're doing, more of the Bridgerton clan. I loved Eloise and Penelope Featherington. Um, seeing those characters come to life and getting to, you know, follow them in in this series was fantastic. Just because you have the in the adaptation, you have the the room to mm. do that. Where, whereas books, you know, um, just tend to be so much more focused, obviously, on those on those main characters and what they're doing and who they're interacting with. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they revealed um, uh, Lady Whistledown um, in the first series because that's not revealed in the book. Um, oh, really? Quite as early, but it creates a really nice sense of tension as we watch 
what I assume will be the following series. Um, <laughs> I hope so. And I loved, again, production quality, just gorgeous. Um, yeah, the, the characters are great. It was really wonderful. We, you could really tell um, that the, the people who created the, the Netflix adaption came into it with a lot of love. A lot mm. of love for the source material, a lot of love for the genre, and they really, you know, put their heart and soul in, into creating something that was beautiful. You know, romance readers, um, uh, people think that they can just do something really half-assed and because and, we've got money and we're willing to spend it, they'll throw money at it. Yeah. No, we can tell when people are approaching things and have made the effort to research and are approaching things with love, mm. you know, for the genre, mm. for the community, and you can see what the results are. Everyone got behind it and yeah. it was, what, the, the most popular series of, on Netflix of all time yeah, or something like that. Week. That's how big, like, the numbers were. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, about 80 million yeah. worldwide wow. watched yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So looking forward to, you know, next, next Boxing Day when they release <laughs> Series 2 featuring um, the Viscount, Anthony. Yeah. So. I think it's also just wonderful that it, it's got people back into reading those books again because, like you mentioned, they're mm. a couple of decades old and yeah. obviously you'd have – it would be similar to, you know, when Game of Thrones came out yeah. and people – all at the time you had those fans who were big fans of A Song yeah. of Ice and Fire and then suddenly when the, the series mm. dropped, the interest in the books mm. suddenly took off enormously because yeah. people wanted to compare the books to yeah. the to the series yeah. and how – what, what the show did do and what the books yeah. did do instead. And there's a flow-on effect as well. When Game of Thrones, you know, came about, it was like, oh, people are taking fantasy series again, mm, you know. And yeah. so other fantasy series, you know, felt felt that sort of that halo effect. And I think it's the same, you know, with Bridgerton as well. More and more people are discovering historical romance. There are so many, you know, um, new books for people to discover – Books people have written recently, there's, of course, heaps of those. And, you know, people discovering the, the classics, the beloved books that have been written in the last um, several years as well. Um, and then, you know, after after I went through a few of those, um, <laughs> I started reading a book that uh, Ash actually lent me and that she highly recommended, which is Why Visit America. Um, it's not a travel book, um, mm. but it was described to me um, as uh, basically Black Mirror. Oh, no. Right? So it's it's an anthology of short stories, and I love short stories. Um, and it is, it is – you reading them, it's like this could be an episode of Black Mirror. Every story that you read, it just gets weirder and weirder. The first one I read, I was like, okay, this is, this is a, you know, a bit of an odd family. Okay, and then the next one, it's just even stranger. And it's tackling issues and it's tackling, um, you know, it's taking a simple concept and taking it to its extreme. I think one of the stories is, is like, okay, um, what would happen if um, sort of women took over the world and all the men were kind of just put into a zoo? Just, just a few of them left, just to maintain the genetic diversity. But really, they've done enough damage, um, and I think it's starting to women take over. And it's this is you know several generations after that when that's normal, you know. Um, so it really is like an episode episodes of Black Mirror, but you're reading them, and it's fantastic. Wow, I love those where you take like a particular situation, yeah. a particular idea, and then expand it out. Yeah, to them. and you just take it as far as it will go, and and you get something really quite fascinating. So. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that about halfway through. Um, and then I also just picked up the other day as well because I can't just read one book at once. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I also started reading uh, Norse Mythology um, oh, by wow. Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, and um, love Norse Mythology. You know, um, Thor, Love and Thunder is coming out this year. Might as well catch up on the, <laughs> the history. No. Um, but, you know, Neil Gaiman's such a great writer and, um, you know, he really, he really approaches it with his unique style. It's... It's him retelling these myths 
Um, and yeah, I've really, really enjoyed it so far. Just had a bit of a taste and uh, I'm really glad that I, I bought it. Neil Gaiman's wonderful. Mm. He's such a fantastic writer. Mm. I remember the first time I, um, I picked up uh, Good Omens, the one mm. he did with, yes. with Terry Pratchett. Yeah. It's like the apocalypse meeting Monty yeah. Python. It was just so... Yeah. <laughs> the car. Yeah, ex- it was, wasn't it's it? It's fun. It, it was so <laughs> much fun, but you're talking about sub- about the end of the world yeah. by, and the Four Horsemen yeah. of the Apocalypse and the, the, the big demon dog who's mm. just a big, big softy because... The, it's such a great yeah. it's such a fantastic he's such a fantastic writer and darkly macabre yeah and i'm really hoping that this will help me understand american gods a little bit better because i read mm. that and i know that there's a lot of you know obviously norse mythology referenced in there and really like uh you know detailed stuff that you, you really have to know the myths for and i kind of know them in general um so i'm really hoping that by reading this i'll understand what happened at the end of american gods because <laughs> I, I still don't quite get it yeah it's <laughs> a, it's a, that far. i was like it just, it was a very large book and I think it was one of the ones where like Neil Gaiman's gone back mm. and like added in a whole bunch of like thousands of words that like he would have wanted. Uh, yeah, I think there's a new edition, like the, the writer's yeah. preferred edition. There's yeah. a lot of them. There's I a lot of like editions. I found it so hard to get through. I, I read, because I, I tried to get into it after I left school and I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't get through it and then I revisited it last year and got a bit more of an appreciation for it because it's such a complicated world. It is and I loved it and I kind of just read it and just soaked in it but it was a bit like a weird trip. Yeah. I didn't, (laughs) I enjoyed it. I did not know, quite know what I was reading but it was fun Mm. and it was really cool. Um, Going back to adaptation, Sam, do you know what your Mm. Bridgerton name is if you were a character? (laughs) My Bridgerton name. Yeah. People have made like little name generators. I haven't, I haven't looked, I haven't done that, but I will now. Yeah. Um, the other thing was we were talking about Sally Thorne's new book coming out soon. Is it Second First Impressions mm. or something? Okay. Yeah. And we were talking about The Hating Game. Okay. Which is like one of those classic like yeah. recent rom-com kind of things. Yes. What did you think about The Hating Game being turned into a movie? Um, I didn't read it and I didn't know the news. Yes, so oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the last to know. No, um, I'll look that up. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I personally don't really read a huge amount of rom-com style romances. Um, I, I used to read a lot of contemporary ones, but generally contemporary with uh, a mystery or thriller element uh, as well, less of the rom-coms. And I think that's because I get a lot of really bad secondhand embarrassment and rom-coms <laughs> tend to rely on slapstick or really embarrassing situations and I just can't yeah, do it. I, I just can't. Ugh. Put it away. Get it away from me. I, I, feel, I feel the shame like, creeping it. No. The cringe. <laughs> like when characters are lying to each other and like you know that they're It's lying. frustrating. Just just talk. And even and even if it even if it ends well and you know it's going to end well, you're mm. just like... Oh, just get there already, come yeah. on. Yeah, because exactly. It's so, because it's so cringy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I'll, I'll, look, at, I'll look it up. Um, I think it's interesting when you see some, some adaptions being made into movies and some into series, you know, why they make that choice. You know, um, Bridgerton makes sense as a series because it's a series of eight books and they're focusing on um, one book per series. That makes sense. It was very clear when they finished the series that they were moving on to mm. The Viscount Who Loved Me and, and, you know, that book and Anthony and Kate. Um, but I think there's another one that just came out, Firefly Lane, which is a single book. Um, it's kind of more of a women's fiction with a romance element by um, Kristen, Kristen Hanna. I could be incorrect about that. Um, and that's got Catherine Heigl in it, and they made that a series when it's a single book. So that's that's an interesting approach, I think. Um, yeah, I, I don't know enough about why Netflix. Again, it's a Netflix adaption. Why they would have chosen to go for a, a, a series as opposed to a movie? Maybe it's to do with you know viewer retention. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I think it's it's a it's a great move. I'm hoping to see a lot more adaptions from the romance genre. There's certainly uh, a great deal of great content out there just right. waiting to be adapted. So yeah, indeed, and I, and I'm and it hopefully will lead people to read more books, which is definitely which is fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much. Amazing recommendations, always. It's always great to hear um, the crazy, awesome books that you have been reading and enjoying. Um, so before we move on to to book fight, we are in fact sponsored this week with a sponsored book. Um, Jennifer Batchery is one of Australia's most exciting romance and suspense novelists, publishing over nine novels and dozens of short stories. And we're excited to announce, to announce that through Booktopia Editions, we will be offering her novels Everything to Lose, Best Kept Secrets, One Door Closes, and The Almost Perfect Lover for one great price. Yep, four books, one price. Get access uh, to this special offer right now in the description box uh, below this podcast. Um, but yeah, be sure to check it out. Sponsoring of this podcast. All right. So now we come to the final segment of the show uh, where we get down and dirty and play a book fight. So once as always, I will require a buzzer from every single one of you and I will throw to you first, Cass. What shall your buzzer be? I feel put on the spot now. Like, I don't know what to say. I was like, I'm going to say plink, but that sounds weird. <laughs> so I guess we're going with that. Plink? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, Arthur, what shall yours be? I'm going to do something different this year. Instead of relying on my usual buzz, I'm going to actually pick a word from one of the books I've been reading. So this week I'm going with dry. Dry. Great one. I actually noticed people have started to use buzz as well. And I'm like, you can't do that. That's Arthur's. That's my word. <laughs> it's Arthur's word. Um, and lastly, Sam, what shall your buzzer be? I'm going to go with a Bridgerton-themed one. I'm going to go with Penelope's. Penelope's. Yes. That's a fancy name. Penelope's is the term to refer to the fantastic relationship of Penelope and Eloise. Oh, it's a ship Bridgerton. name. <laughs> oh. Is it a friendship? Is it a ship-ship? Who knows? Is it a romance? Who knows? <laughs> is it like one of those open-ended kind of hinted at things? Where you can um, like the book's, I mean, the book's pretty clear that it's a, um, uh, I, th I think, a friendship, but it's in the in the Bridgerton series, just uh, there's a great chemistry between those two characters. They have a fantastic friendship um, and we, we love them both, so Penelope's. We love a good ship. Great buzzer. Um, so now we are ready. Are we, we're ready to get down and dirty. Let's play book fight. Question one. Who wrote the Iliad? Think. Plink. Homer. It was Homer, correct. Straight on it. <laughs> I once actually, we, we actually, we got someone with, we, I got Liv with a really, really obvious quiz question and she was absolutely livid last time, but you were straight <laughs> on that. <laughs> question two. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was published in, was originally published in which language? And this is multiple choice. A, Swedish, B, Norwegian, C, Danish, D, English. Plink. Um, Swedish. Nice. Very well picked. Correct. I thought it was a trick question. <laughs> yes, yeah, so did I. I thought Swedish was the obvious answer, but I was going to get thrown off. <laughs> question three. For three points, name this author. A bonus two points are awarded if you can name it before I mention their first novel. I grew up in a housing commission in Bracken Ridge, a suburb on the northern outskirts of Brisbane. I began my... Uh, Penelope's. Yep. Trent Dalton. <laughs> How did you get that? <laughs> did you see my notes? No. No. I just, I was we just like, know. I know Trent Dalton's from Queensland. Maybe it's him. 
Good guess, and you are absolutely correct. Dang, five points. Well done. Not, not many people have actually got, the, got it from you. you know? Well done, correct. Question four. Sticking with the fantasy romance uh, series, E.L. James' Fifty Shades of Grey series is based on, is ori- was originally fan fiction from which book series? Penelope's. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you jump on that immediately. It was originally um, Twilight fan fiction. It is indeed Twilight fan fiction, correct. Yeah. Question five. Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere is set in an underground world of which city? Blink. London. London, correct. And that leads us to our last question. Currently, Sam is sitting on six points. Cass is on three. Arthur, you are still to score. Come on, Arthur. <laughs> okay. Throw me an easy one, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cass and Sam have been on it. They have been on it today. Too quick for me. Too quick. <laughs> um, our last question. Name the book chronologically. Sorry, let me start that again. <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't sound like a fair question, Nick. Okay. So chronologically, name the novel that comes first in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, Plink. Plink. The Green Ring. No, it is not The Green Ring. Mm. I don't think there is one called The Green Ring. I think it's a prequel. Try it. Yep. Is it? I'm talking the, I'm talking the original series. Sorry. Can't, yeah. Is it uh, The Magician's Nephew, if it, that's even one? Yes, it is The Magician's Nephew. You are absolutely correct. Arthur is on the board. And that brings us to the end of Book Fight. It was a short and sweet one, um, but finishing up, Cass finishes with three points, Arthur with one, but Sam takes the win with six points. Congratulations. Thanks. Well done. Very good, very good. Oh, on it with Trent Dalton. That actually terrified me. <laughs> 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 just give her a postcode and she does. Yes. <laughs> That's what happens. You're, uh, you're on the ball with, ca- with campaigns. Bad, bad. <laughs> um, and that will bring us to the end of the weekend book token for another week. Thank you to my wonderful guests for joining us and be sure to check out all of the books we've mentioned today down in the description box. The Weekend Booktopian was produced by myself, Nick Wasiliev, and you can check out a wide variety of episodes on our Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud channels where you can check out a wide variety of author interviews, book analysis pieces and more, including our most recent interview with Gary Lonesborough on his new book, The Boy from the Mish. Also be sure to check out Booktopia TV on YouTube. Um, And if you can't get enough of Chained Authors, head to the Booktopian blog where you can read articles published every single day, including our recent Q&A with Kylie Finley, author of Growing Up Disabled in Australia. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au